Hi friend, I'm Doug Pratt. Welcome to the Life Academy. Today we're going to be talking about the most important decision we can ever make, the decision to become a Christian. It's more important than who you marry, what career you undertake, where you live, what you do with your money. It's an inward decision. It can only be made in the will and only God sees it. Human beings cannot see the inner heart of another human. All we can judge are externals, words spoken and actions, but we cannot see in the inner heart. Why it's possible for a person to be in church a lot, to profess belief, to say creeds, and yet they haven't really made that decision inside. It is a decision that cannot be forced for it to be real. Why, a gun could be held at a person's head and required them to profess they believe, but that wouldn't be real. It wouldn't be from within. This experience, this choice, this act of the will is given lots of different names in scripture and terminology in Christian experience. It's described as accepting Christ, becoming a Christian, believing, being saved, being redeemed, becoming a child of God, asking forgiveness, trusting in Christ, all of them refer to this basic experience. It is common for a person who does make this decision of the will to uh, then have it result in change within them, different thoughts, different emotions, different uh, decisions, different actions, and different words and behavior. But those are all consequences. They are not the cause of being a Christian. It is an inward decision. Now, some people have struggled to know for sure that they have really become a believer. And I think part of this doubt may come from a, a common misunderstanding of a stereotype, the biblical term born again. Now, some people have concluded that that means a person in order to be a real born again Christian must go through some kind of a 180 degree total change, almost a, a lobotomy, a, a, a personality transplant. You have to go from one thing to a completely different kind of person. But although we have examples of that, that's not necessary. Well, we have amazing uh, examples of people who have gone through dramatic, seemingly almost instantaneous 180 degree U-turns. The Apostle Paul, 20 centuries ago, was actually a, a man who hated Christ and hated the church. And then as he was traveling one day, he was knocked off of horseback by a blinding light and a voice from heaven. And he became a devoted follower of Christ. Saint Paul, we know him today. He did not start out as a saint a slave ship captain by the name of John Newton in the 18th century, caught in a vicious hurricane in the Atlantic, cried out for God to spare his life. And as he described in the well-known hymn he later wrote, he was touched and changed by amazing grace. He once was lost, but then was found, was blind, and then he could see. In our own times, in the 20th century, Charles Colson, Nixon-era hatchet man, 
read a book by C.S. Lewis, and in the title of his autobiography, he was born again, a dramatic, profound change. But while these stories are memorable, they're incredible, but they're rare. Most people, most truly committed Christians have not had that kind of dramatic 180 degree change. In fact, most pastors I've known do not have that kind of a, a profound testimony of uh, being lost and being found. Actually, to go through that kind of dramatic change is only plan B. It's not the preferred plan A. God's plan A is that a person be born into and raised in a believing home where Christ is honored and his word is taught and where that child is engrafted into the vital life of a church and can get to know about God from early on in their life. And as a result, many people who have followed that plan A cannot identify a specific day or moment when they crossed from being an unbeliever to a believer. It became a natural extension and growth, even if they had moments of significant uh, commitment along the way. It's a more seamless experience. But not every child who grows up in a Christian home does become a true Christian. There are some for whom, even if the parents did everything right, it didn't take because every person has their own will and every person can make their own choice. And there are some who have been raised in the church and a Christian home who have rebelled against it, perhaps because they saw some hypocrisy or inconsistency in the life of Christians and therefore rejected Christ on the basis of the flaws of one or more of his followers. Perhaps they became involved in a peer group that did not believe or was scoffing and skeptical of the Christian faith. And in order to be accepted and to be popular with that inner group, they themselves turned from Christ. Perhaps some have become caught up in or even addicted to certain sins and unwilling to give up those pleasures have turned from God. Some uh, perhaps grew up in a church but only grasped the faith at a very childish level. And then when they went to college and confronted intellectual doubts, they did not have an adult faith to stand up to those adult questions. And then, of course, there are many people who grow up in a home where there was no faith and no involvement, no awareness or knowledge of Christ. For all of those, the necessary step, if they're going to become real Christians, is they have to do plan B, which is to come to Christ later in life. And in almost all of those cases, there will be more dramatic change if they're change their conversion or commitment is real because they've built up a lot of things that are contrary to the life of Christ and need that to be altered in order to walk in discipleship and in relationship with Christ in their life. Now, let me go back to that biblical image of born again and explain it a bit more to you, the spiritual birth process. It's referred to in the Bible in the writings of Peter and in the fourth of the four biographies of Jesus written by his close associate, John. In particular, John chapter three tells a memorable story of a prominent religious professional named Nicodemus who made an appointment to talk to Jesus. Nicodemus, this Pharisee, was fully versed in the Old Testament's rules and regulations. 
But he perceived there was something radically new in what Jesus was bringing into the world. And Jesus indeed said to him, Nicodemus, if you really want to know God, if you want to have this experience within, you've got to be born again. That's how our New Testament translates it. However, the word Jesus used, anothen in the original language, actually has a double meaning. It can mean either again in sequence or from above. And this double meaning is in play throughout John chapter 3. Nicodemus wrongly assumes that Jesus is talking about a second physical birth, and he scoffs. Well, it's impossible for me to climb back into my mother's womb. But Jesus said, no, I'm talking about a different source of birth, a different kind of birth, a spiritual birth from above. Another verse later, Jesus uses a second double meaning in their language. The word wind and the word spirit were the same word. And so Jesus plays upon this double meaning. Nicodemus, you look at the wind and you can't see it. It's invisible, but it has an impact. In the same way, the spirit is invisible but when that spirit comes into and changes a person's inner heart through their decision to trust in him, it changes your life. Thus, this image of the birth process is actually a clue by Jesus that there is a great deal of similarity between what happens when a human child is born into the world and when a human being makes that decision spiritually to trust in Christ. In both cases, there is a time of preparation before the event. In a, the case of a, your birth and mine, our life did not begin the moment we were delivered from our mother's womb, but rather it began at conception and a lot of important things happened to prepare us for that moment of birth. In the same way, it is very common for people who make that decision to trust in Christ to have been prepared by things happening in their life, God at work, many different things can prepare a person to believe in Christ. It is very rare for someone to have never heard the name of Jesus and then to make an instantaneous decision to believe, but rather they have been prepared. Maybe it's been through experiences realizing, oh, I need help. I can't do it on my own. Maybe it's through seeing the role model of a person who is living out their faith and thinking, I want what that person has. Or maybe it's even a great blessing that a person recognizes comes from a source beyond or a person struggling with the question of meaning and purpose. What's life all about? That prepares them and leads them to make that decision when it becomes clear and understandable to them. In fact, sometimes we don't even know until looking back in hindsight how God was preparing the way for our decision. It is certainly the case for me and I believe for many that when that moment of spiritual birth or awakening to Christ occurred, I didn't know a whole lot of theology and many people do not. All I knew when I was a teenager, having grown up not in a Christian home and therefore having to follow plan B, all I knew was that I had a need in my life. And my very first prayer was about as eloquent as, God, if you're there, I'd sure like to know you. 
That's all it took. In a sense, I opened the door of my life, a crack, and Jesus came in. In fact, that's another metaphor we find in the Bible. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. That's the door of everyone's heart, everyone's soul. And whenever the verse goes on, anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. Frankly, I just opened the door a crack, and that's all it took, and Jesus came in. Well, back to this image of human birth and spiritual birth. When a human baby is born, if it's healthy, it will grow. And a child grows in stature and in size, not because he or she is trying real hard with their act of willpower. You can't make yourself taller by trying to be. But rather, growth comes from the life within. In the same way, spiritually, we don't try to grow spiritually. It follows that new life that's been born in us. But there are things that benefit a child and further their growth. Nutrition is essential. First, a mother's milk and then solid food. In the same way, there are many nutrition options for a Christian to grow spiritually, including worshiping God and getting to know other believers and learning how to pray and practicing the discipline of prayer, sharing your thoughts with God freely and regularly and reading the scriptures and wonderful Christian literature. All of these are like nutrition for a growing child's body. They help our souls to grow. If a child who has born does not grow, that is an indication that something is very wrong, very unhealthy. In the same way, a person who professes to have made a decision to be a Christian, but who shows no evidence and no experience of spiritual growth can be an indicator that that personal decision or commitment was not genuine, it wasn't real. And this has sadly happened, that people perhaps have been swayed by a moving message or, or have cried out to God in desperation, but without a true desire in their heart to know him, just seeking to manipulate God to help them or bail them out of a problem. And it's been the case that people have appeared from a human outward perspective to have become believers, but the inner heart did not change. In fact, there are noted scholars I can name who know the Bible better than I or you ever will, but they are unbelievers and openly profess to be. They, they know it all, but knowledge is not the key. It is the heart. It is the will. Well, let's talk for a minute about the place of emotion in the Christian life. Emotions are powerful. It's very common for a person who feels God and desires to know him better to have strong feelings of, of love for God and uh, to be moved and touched. But beware that emotions are fickle. They are constantly changing. They are not the most reliable indicator of the state of our faith and our soul. C.S. Lewis, great Christian writer, warned that human beings in their emotional life follow what he calls the law of undulation. 
where we go up and down. And our moods are affected by all kinds of different things. And therefore, we dare not trust that how I feel in a given moment tells me if I'm a Christian or not. Those emotions are too unreliable. In fact, Lewis goes on to say there are times when God actually allows us to go through an emotional trough so that we will believe and trust in him and continue even when we don't feel it. That's, Lewis says, when we really grow. So if I can't trust how I feel today to tell me whether I'm a believer or not, what can help me to determine whether my faith is real? Well, among the self-tests that are more helpful are, do I, do I want, do I desire, is it my intent to follow Christ? Do I sense a remorse? Is my conscience quickened when I sin? Do I wish and desire to see my life become more what Christ wants me to be? Now, perfection is not possible. And we need to accept from the outset, we will never do it completely right. No matter how long we are a Christian, no matter how much we try, it simply cannot be accomplished because we're flawed and fallible. In fact, perfection will only come when we exit this earth and all of our sins of our mortal bodies are wiped away and replaced. But God doesn't give up on you and me, even when we fail, even when we are so frustrated that that sin, which we've tried to get rid of, has tripped us up again. God is patiently, faithfully, lovingly, and unconditionally at work. And there's nothing you or I can ever do. Once we have received Christ and become a Christian by that interact of the will that can ever take us away from him and his grace. Which brings us to this natural question. Is it possible to turn to Christ and become a Christian at the very end of our life? And the answer is yes, it is. We have a most notable and memorable example in the pages of the Bible. A thief, a condemned criminal, a really wicked, bad man died on a cross next to Jesus on Good Friday. And in his final hours of life, he asked the Savior to remember him and forgive him. It was a true decision of repentance and sorrow in his heart and a desire, that inner decision. And his prayer was granted. And this man had nothing good to offer the Lord. No, no life except one of crime and self-centeredness. And yet, that final decision worked. It is possible for someone to have turned away from God all his life or her life, and in their final moments, to turn to him and to receive his mercy. But do not think that that's a foolproof plan. As some have suggested, well, why don't I live my life purely for pleasure? And then at the last minute, I'll trick God by asking his forgiveness. There are flaws in that plan. Number one, you don't know what will be the experience of your leaving this earth. And you don't know if you'll even be conscious in your final minutes to make that decision. Secondly, a heart that has become hardened and resistant to God and a conscience that has been silenced may not be able 
to be awakened in that final critical hour. And so we need to be careful to take the advantage when our conscience is moved and when the opportunity is here. Do not put it off. Do not delay. But because it is always possible for someone, whenever I am asked to do a funeral service or lead in a memorial service for a person whom I am told did not go to church, had no evidence outwardly of faith, I nevertheless cannot confidently or have uh, with any rationale say that person is not in the presence of God because I don't know what happened in their final moments. Only God knows the heart. Well, if you are struggling with the question, am I really a Christian? I encourage you, my friend, to make that decision today. You can do so easily. You can do so without worrying about eloquent words. It's a matter of the heart. And if you are struggling with whether your decision for Christ was real, then seek God and ask him to give you that sense of assurance and confidence. I can absolutely guarantee you that knowing Christ personally is the greatest privilege and the greatest security we will ever know. God bless you.